Welcome to the next episode of the Press Play Podcast. I'm Deanna. I'm the executive editor of the Press. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah. I am associate music editor at the Sony River Press. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Um, we're with Jen Malone, the uh, Euphoria music su- supervisor. I'm so excited about it. I've been like looking forward to this for a couple of days now. But um, I guess we could just get started. Um, I was reading some of your other interviews that you've done about how you kind of got to be a music supervisor. You said you just kind of moved to LA and just got a bunch of internships, right? Yeah, I started out in PR. I was a publicist for rock bands for many years. I ran my own company and just got super burnt out on that. And afterwards, you know, after I was just like, this is just not fun anymore. I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, you know, it was just one of those things where I, I, I didn't want to do publicity, but did I want to, you know, stay in promotions? I just, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was honestly kind of lost for a little bit. And then, yeah, I saw Iron Man. I was just like, hmm, that's what I want to do. I want to put music in movies. And I moved out here and I didn't know any aspects of the business. I knew that this is a business and, um, you know, there's obviously copyright holders and, you know, different types of ownership um, involved. But I knew that I had to start at the bottom. And so I did get an internship with Dave Jordan, who does all the Marvel films. And that was amazing. And then I... Um, after my summer internship, um, I kind of, you know, wasn't sure what was next, but in the meantime, you know, I was hustling and taking meetings with anybody and everybody, um, that would meet with me. And I was on a news group of women in the music industry and somebody posted that MTV was looking for interns in their music supervision department. And, you know, I, I was kind of like, I remember when I was in college, which was a little while ago when you know my my classmates would um do internships basically i knew that i would be with a you know a bunch of college kids um and probably you know be i'm a little bit older i had already graduated from college this is my second career but it was throw your ego out the window you know you'll learn you'll meet people this is important step in your career and so i'll um the people that interviewed me were like, do whatever you need to do to get into the internship program. Just, just trust us. And in order to be an intern at, you know, big corporations, um, you have to get school credit. You can't just work for free. So I went to LA community college. I filled out an ad slip. I never went, I never paid. I just kind of got into that internship, uh, orientation and then I was an intern for three days. And then I got a job as music coordinator on VH1 shows. And the rest is kind of history. <laughs> How did you get involved with Euphoria? So I did reality television for about five years, which, which is a grind. It's not sexy, um, but you are dealing with so much music in, in music to picture. And it's very intense and it's very fast. And, and I loved it. And I was, you know, I was doing what I wanted to do. I was a music supervisor. And I reconnected with a friend of mine who I knew from Boston. Because I grew up in New Jersey, but then I lived in Boston for years before I moved out here. 
And I just reconnected with her through other friends. There's a huge Boston community out here. And she was working on a show, Baskets. Kind of asked me if I could just clear a song that they had. I was like, sure, of course. And then she, you know, was like, is this public domain? And what about, can you just be our music supervisor? So I did Baskets. She, um, uh, Caitlin, Caitlin Waldron, ended up telling me that she was doing this show with Donald Glover and it was going to be a lot of hip hop and a lot of really intense clearances and like, yeah, I'm in. Um, and then, and that was amazing. And obviously Atlanta kind of changed, kind of changed my life. <laughs> and then uh, she was one of the producers on Euphoria and brought me into Euphoria as well. So it was very much a, you know, I'm, I'm her guy, you know, and now I'm, I'm proud to say that with a couple of our producers and the Euphoria family, I'm their guy. So, you know, any other, like the Malcolm and Marie, the Zendaya, John David Washington, you know, I'm doing that show and, or that film. So yeah, that's kind of how I got involved with that show. Um, quick question though. I mean, and I, Atlanta is just like such a landmark show. How do you navigate getting clearances, especially for songs that would appear in a show like that? Well, that's a whole nother copyright law podcast, <laughs> not copyright law, but music clearances are very, very, very intense. And there's the master owner, which either is the, the artist or the record label. And then there's the publishing, the actual music and lyrics. So you have to clear what's called both sides. And it's just a matter of research. Um, <laughs> educating some of the more independent artists on how that works. So it's not, okay, you know, what's your publishing? And they say, I own everything. But then you find there's a sample in there where there's a producer who's making the beat and they own half of the song. So it's a lot of education on that end. And I'm very lucky that everybody that I work with on the other side, the people that clear the music at the publishing companies and the licensing companies and the labels, are all amazing. I truly believe that they worked as hard and they do work as hard as I do to get it done and to make it work. So I'm very lucky with that, but it's just a lot of research. I mean, I remember in season one, we had Dobie who was murdered a couple of years prior in Alabama. So I was dealing with his estate, which was all tangled up in legal. Like clearance is very intense, but it's very important because you can find the most perfect song in the world, but if you can't clear it, you can't use it. So music clearance is such a huge part of this job. Um, you know, I think there's a misconception that music supervisors just kind of sit around and listen to music all day. Um, and that couldn't be further from the truth. It's a very big job on big productions with a lot of music and where music is so central, like Atlanta, like Umbrella Academy, like Euphoria. So clearances, that's like I said, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> How did you get to use a Beyonce song? Isn't that like pretty hard to do? Well, what was great is that the splits were already figured out. Obviously it's Beyonce, so her business is, is tight. Tight meaning, you know, everything is very organized. And again, the people that I worked with on the other side were there. There's a lot of writers on that song because there's an interpolation from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's maps. And there's uh, the Andy Williams sample and then there's a soldier boy like hook or something somehow he had something to do with the song because he was like the last like three percent that I needed to deal with so the splits were figured out and it was just a matter of getting her to sign off on the use which which we were very lucky she did um I think Drake might have 
helped make a call on that one, although I don't remember, but, you know, it was a little bit of a process, but, you know, her and her manager has to sign off on everything. So it was just a puzzle, but that one was not as hard as one might think, so. Oh. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you like I love you. Step down, they don't love you like I love you. Can't you see there's no other man above you? What a wicked way to treat the girl that loves you. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Hold down. I watched the entire first season and I remember just in the first episode hearing like Beyonce sound, I was like, oh my god, like wow, like I couldn't believe it. I love the show to begin with, but the music is what makes it like so unique. Just like the mood of the music, even if you change one song in one scene, it completely changes the whole like mood of the scene. But yeah, that's your job. You know, you know all of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think even speaking of like Atlanta and Euphoria you're drawn in by the characters and the story of the show but I think music is just a character of the show as well where like it's such a deep part of the show that's like you have to make sure everything's done right and I think you did an excellent excellent job. Thank you you know it takes it takes a village there's a lot of very 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 incredibly talented people with really good music taste obviously on both shows and you know, they're intense, but when you're surrounded by so much talent, whether it's, you know, my editors on both shows are just absolutely incredible or a showrunner like, like Sam or like, you know, obviously Donald and Hero, music is in the fabric of both of these shows. And so it is, I, yeah, it, that for both shows, there is very much um, a character and you can do you know, it was interesting for something like in um, in episode two of Euphoria, when we had the air supply song after that very violent beatdown, you know, we could have used, you know, a more menacing tension type song afterwards. And it just would have completely changed the scene. Instead, we kind of played counterpoint with putting a Yacht Rock song in it, which was very, you know, which really turn the scene on in, on its head because even with when we were at the mix playback with you know some of the studio executives we were all kind of laughing when the song came on and it's kind of like okay we just watched a very 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 violent scene that's very hard to watch but yet I'm laughing and I don't know why and that was because the music just really helped tell the story and really made a commentary on you know on the scene and on what was happening. I don't really know what that commentary is exactly, but it was just very, it was just a very different way to play the scene. Uh, were there some scenes that were harder to pick songs for that were like more difficult than others? I mean, yeah, there, you know, it's, it's, it's always a challenge to get it right. And, you know, it's just, it's just a process, but I don't remember really specifically if there's one song that just, you know, or one scene that kind of, well, the, the, the Halloween episode, episode six, was very intense because it's a lot of music in it. The whole thing mainly takes place at a party. And it was one of those things where like, if we had kind of hip hop or trap kind of playing throughout the whole thing, your ears would get tired, it would be white noise. 
and the music wouldn't be doing anything to kind of help again like thread that fabric so it was just a puzzle weaving in and out of what's called diegetic and non-diegetic music so the music that the characters hear and then the music that they don't hear but that's part of the scene if that makes sense and so we were able to kind of use so much different music, but that all kind of worked together. It was a puzzle. And I remember it was really late one night and there was just kind of one specific part that we were just playing with different songs and different genres and just figuring out what worked again, what would work with lab score. And I remember we just were, you know, we were just all sitting there. It was just really late. What about this? Well, what about this? Well, what if we start this here? Well, what if we move that song here? And, you know, and it was just one of the puzzles. And the final piece of the puzzle was the, um, the Jid song that we had in there, 151 Rum, that had just such the perfect intro that was the final puzzle piece that worked. And I'm super tight with those guys and, and their management. And I was just like, I need this cleared like right now. And because I, you know, again, I have this relationship they're like, okay, just send the paperwork and we'll just get it right back to you. Cause it's not cleared until it's cleared until I have the piece of paper in my hand. And they were all in Atlanta, I think at this point. So they were like, you know, had to be midnight for them, but we ended up clearing it. And it just was that final middle piece of the puzzle. We're like, okay, we're done. So that one was a really tough episode to figure out. Did you work with Labyrinth on the songs that he made for like the official soundtrack? Oh, stranger. So I didn't. Um, Lab and I kind of worked in our own lanes because we both had so much to do and it was so intense. You know, you think about it, an artist's record is what, 45 minutes when they put out a full-length album and they've worked on it for sometimes three months, five months, you know, a lot longer than time period of a show. And Labyrinth had to do like for the Carnival episode, like 30 minutes. He had to write like a whole album for one episode. And then me, I was working on, you know, five episodes at once, plus dealing with All For Us. He was in the UK. We just, neither of us kind of had the bandwidth to have, a, you know, extensive dialogue. I mean, Labyrinth worked very much with Sam on the score. And I just, I had my hands full with, with Source. <laughs> you want to pivot a little bit to kind of figuring out what goes where. You know, you talked about like the different puzzle pieces. So tell me about like the initial playlist. How did that come to be? And how do you figure out how to include like the bigger name artists and like maybe the smaller ones as well? I mean, it was very organic, I think. And it was just a lot of it was based on gut and feeling and looking at the scene and seeing the story. Because when you like, I think overall this happens with every show, but specifically with Euphoria, you'll read the script you'll kind of have an idea of, of what's happening in the scene, but what Sam ends up shooting and how the scene is edited is completely different. So it's one of those things that you can't necessarily like pre-plan without seeing the scene and seeing what it looks like. I start with kind of a general mixtape on Spotify where I'm just throwing songs in and it's a collaborative playlist with everybody. And, you know, some of the songs 
I'm kind of like, okay, this would be great for the show, or this is just a really dope song that we should all be listening to that I want to share music. I mean, that is kind of my job at its core is to essentially, you know, yes, help tell the story, but use music, you know, to kind of introduce people to songs or reintroduce people to songs that they might not have heard of. So we just kind of start with this playlist. You know, I always will refer back to it when I need a specific song for the scene, or I just won't even look at it and just kind of come up with something else. So that's kind of from, you know, from the script stage of how we start kind of collecting music. And then obviously, as time goes on, the new artists pop up and, you know, we kind of see if they'll work for the show. Have you started making a playlist for season two yet? Or are you kind of going back to maybe some songs that you didn't use for season one? Um, I have started a playlist for season two, just general pulls. And some of the stuff, there have been songs that are in the season one playlist that's like 10 hours now that I didn't get to use that some of them might transfer over. Do you have a, um, a favorite scene that you worked on or maybe just a favorite song that you were able to use? I mean, there was there was a lot, but I don't think I have like an absolute favorite moment. I mean, I think the Donnie Hathaway and the finale was absolutely a beautiful placement. That was just, that worked so well for the show. I've sung a lot of songs I've made some bad you know, there's kind of different moments in, in every episode, but I don't I don't know if I have a favorite per se. Again, the Halloween episode I'm really proud of because it is so much music and we were able to just make it work and keep the music very exciting and different and maintain its character, also work to, you know, again, to help tell the story. Yeah, you said you collaborate with Sam a lot, but do you have like the final say for songs that you choose or is that kind of up to Sam too? That's, it's totally 100% always up to the showrunner and the director. It's their vision. It's their story that they want to tell. And so, you know, it's the music supervisor's job to just help fulfill their vision. I was doing a panel with other music supervisors and Liza Richardson, who's absolutely amazing. She did Watchmen. She did The Leftovers, which I think is one of the best shows. She She put it perfectly. She said that you're a librarian. As a music supervisor, we're, we're librarians and we have to find the specific books, the specific songs to give to the director to help them tell the story. But it's also a matter of sometimes helping them find something that they weren't even looking for. But at the end of the day, it's, it's always their vision and their story and their choice of what song we use. I think that there's a lot of artists in all of the shows that I've worked on and the Apple ads, that's, that's you know, another great example, um, the guys that, that music supervise those ads are, are incredible. I mean, I know like from just like straight up metrics and numbers, Dodger, the song Hot that ended 106, had something like 12,000 Shazams or something crazy within like the first four hours of airing. Also in episode six, we had the artist Ramsey and her manager, who's lovely, emailed me after the show aired a couple months and was like, we've been trucking along at three to 5,000 listens per month. And within, you know, a couple weeks after the airing, it was over a million. So that's pretty incredible. I've had bands reach out to me, even on some of the MTV shows where they've told me that the placement, you know, helped pay for their van to go to South by 
or, you know, Donny Hathaway was trending on Twitter the day after the show aired, the finale aired. So I think it has a huge, huge, huge impact, obviously, whether it's my shows or back in the days with the OC and Gossip Girl to, you know, any show that features music. Now, I think that it does um, expose artists that might not have have been known before, um, especially now with radio being whatever radio is. And, you know, it, I think there's definitely having placements in TV shows that have a wide audience absolutely impact their career. And that's one of my favorite things to do is to introduce a new artist and to kind of help help them maybe take them to the next level or help them in their career. Again, whether it's a you know, fee or back end that helps kind of pay for their van or helps pay for studio time or something like that, that really just in general helps their career. I think it's really special. And when that all aligns, it's awesome. It's one of the best parts of my job, I think. How do you go about finding some of those lesser known artists? I find music everywhere, Spotify, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, just really anywhere and everywhere. I'll be in a store and I'll hear something and I'll Shazam it or, you know, something random on the radio might come on that I haven't heard in years. I'm like, oh my God, this would be a perfect song to be in a show. And I have a Spotify uh, Someday Sinks playlist of all songs that I've found that I'm like, oh my God, this would be great in a show. And I just kind of keep it in there. And then, you know, when it comes time to look for a spot, I can refer there. But there's also the licensing people on the other side that are pitching me music. So really just anywhere and everywhere, some, you know, artists that just kind of hit me up in general or, you know, going down SoundCloud rabbit holes, managers that I work with just everywhere. Are there any like albums or artists that you've found recently that are like really have really piqued your interest? There is one. Yeah. there. I mean, one that I just, Actually, there's a couple that I can um, definitely give shout outs to. Hold on, let me pull up the, my playlist. There is 18 Vino or 18 Veno. I don't know how to pronounce it. A hip hop artist that I'm super, super, super into. There's a lot. There's, I am Dochi. Uh, D-O-E-C-H-H-I. She's hip-hop from, I think, from Florida, and she's amazing. I'm so excited and been talking with her and trying to help her as best I can. There's there's just so many artists that I'll kind of find and just throw into different playlists. The new jo- uh, Joji record is amazing. I'm kind of obsessed with that one. Yeah, the Joji record's been really good. I've been listening to that a lot. And the track he did with Omar Apollo was great. And Omar Apollo just dropped a new uh, kind of like EP mini album today that was great as well. Yeah. I mean, Fridays are always good days for albums to drop and see what's new out there for sure. Um, so are there any projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, I'm so excited that shows are starting to shoot and everyone is, is being super safe. 
So obviously uh, the Euphoria Bridge episode, I'm just looking at my board back here that has all my projects. I work on a show called The Resident, which is a medical drama from Fox, and we're in season four. And that's a really fun show. The showrunners and everybody involved are, are really awesome and just kind of give me a lot of autonomy to pick the music. Um, you know, season one, I forget how many years ago, I was the first person to have the Snow Allegra song in a show. I've had Mahalia in the show. It's just, it's a, it's a great, we, I actually had Joji in uh, Slow Dancing in the Dark, that song, which is one of my favorites. I had that in last season. So I have The Resonance starting to shoot in Atlanta. I have a show for AMC called Kevin Can Fuck Himself, which is going to be really fun. And it's with Annie Murphy, who just won the Emmy for Schitt's Creek. And I love her. And I'm so excited to be a part of that one. Um, working on an animated show for Amazon that's going to be coming out soon called Fairfax. I have two women that I work with, uh, Nicole and Satya and Nicole is um, music supervising that show with her. There's a show that shot in Australia called Clickbait with Zoe Kazan that I'm very excited for. So slowly but surely things are things are coming back, you know, like Umbrella Academy, they're in the writer's room for season three. Hopefully soon when there's a vaccine or the world gets better, we'll have Atlanta season three and four start shooting. So there's a lot going on and I'm just very, very happy that stuff is starting to shoot and we're just figuring out the new way of of working in this mess yeah I kind of forgot about COVID for a minute and that (laughs) everything stopped last season like in the beginning of the year for shows and everything yeah we were supposed to start shooting uh Euphoria season two on March 16th was the first day that we were supposed to start shooting and I think the world got shut down like the 12th or something so that was just like So were you not working for a couple months or were you just working on like other shows or maybe things that were just kind of already filmed, but just like after production stuff? Yeah, we were, I was in post-production for Umbrella Academy season two. We were in post for a show that's going to be coming out on Amazon called The Wilds that I'm very excited about for the world to see. I think people are going to be super into that. We ended up shooting Malcolm and Marie in secret at that point. So I was working on that one. So I, I've, I've, I was lucky enough that we've had work. It wasn't nearly as busy as it normally is, which is kind of nice, but kind of sad given the circumstances of why we weren't that busy. But I was lucky that, you know, and then Fairfax, obviously, with animation, that's something that's been still trucking along during COVID. And then just taking the time to just really listen to music, like all day. <laughs> so at that point, yes, my job was to listen to music all day, but that's very rare. Yeah, how do you find all the time to just listen to music and actually like listen to the lyrics and figure out what show it would be good for? Time management. (laughs) That's my job. That's my job. And, you know, again, I have Satya and Nicole who are amazing. I'm so lucky that I have, I have such a great team because we're, we're an all female music supervision shop and, you know, we just divide and conquer and you know just but that's that's that is part of the job that is the the best part of the job is finding music for picture but yeah just you gotta make time (laughs) there's there's almost like two ways i listen to music one is i'll just listen to new music playlists friends playlists i have some people's discover weekly that i'll listen to and then for myself, I just listen to a lot of old soul music, 
which I absolutely love. But the thing is, is that anytime I hear a song ever since I started this job is, what's, what show would this work in? And then I'll just either take a screenshot and then find it and put it into the folder. But it is kind of, it might, the way I listen to music has changed because it's always, like I said, like what show would this work? Is this a resonant song? Is this an umbrella song? Is this a euphoria song? Is this something that would be cool, but I don't have any projects for it now, but I really like the song. I like the vibe. So it is kind of, it's different, but then sometimes I'll just go back to some of my old standbys that I love. And how was it for you working? I know for Umbrella Academy, since season two definitely dealt in like time travel, how is it for you blending different sounds from either now or the 60s and things like that? Because there's definitely some really interesting kind of songs that are like kind of good, like curveballs, but in like a good way, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, Umbrella Academy, again, Steve Blackman, our showrunner, he's so great. He has such fun music taste. He's so open to you know having an episode that will have Frank Sinatra and Bobby Darren but then also a DJ Shadow song we're just very open but at the end of the day I think on every show and with music supervision in general it's just all about what is the best song for the scene it all comes down to the song and the scene and sometimes you know when I offer up suggestions there will be you know, it'll kind of be a wide variety, but I always throw in my wild card. And, you know, my editors know me so well, they're like, hmm, so is this your wild card? Or, you know, they'll just know your wild card is the one that got in. So, so it's just kind of, you know, just looking at a scene and seeing how to tell that story. And again, with Umbrella Academy, obviously, whenever they're listening to music, we stay true to the time period. But then there's so many different scenes where we can kind of really go for it and go for something super unexpected, something out of the time period, something that's a completely different genre. And Steve is just always open. You know, again, I think I'm so lucky that all of my showrunners are just very open to kind of hear sometimes my crazy ideas that sometimes work really well. I understand there were definitely some reworks of like popular songs that were in the show because I know there's like probably a rework of Bad Guy that's in there as well, right? Yep, that's the interrupters. That was the Steve's pick. That got so much love. And again, that, that's another artist that the manager was so sweet and said, I managed the interrupters and the band is so thrilled with the placement. What we're seeing across streaming platforms has been amazing to watch since the scene airing. The placement has single-handedly introduced the band to a whole new audience. Today we're trending number 31 globally on Shazam. And the song has been streamed about a million times all across the platforms since the episode aired. So that was a really fun placement. The other really fun one was the version of Adele's Hello in Swedish. Which was performed by this Swedish girl, uh, Mi Kusvik, who lives in a very small village in Sweden. And it was just really exciting to reach out to her. And, you know, she's just like, wait, so does this mean people are going to hear my song? It's like, yeah, 
<laughs> so, and especially, you know, Adele doesn't usually approve hello a lot, but it was very much like, you know, working with her management, like, please listen to this version of the song. And she did, and she she loved it. And she gave us the permission to use, you know, cause she owns the song, the music and the lyrics as one of the main writers. But then with me performing it, me, the Swedish girl own master. So that was a really special placement. What was it like seeing the um, finished products? I know that, that when that song was playing, that was a very emotional, like powerful moment in the show. Yeah, I mean, when it's all put together, it's it's amazing to just see kind of how everything comes together and how it works. And sometimes we'll look at something and be like, mm, you know, we can beat this. We can find something better. And then we'll, you know, we'll try different songs. And sometimes it's just kind of like, you know, okay, mic drop. We're done with this episode. Next, it sounds perfect. <laughs> like it's a great episode. So watching it, whether it's watching it airing and then kind of following along, like with Euphoria, it was amazing when it aired and just watching Twitter live as it was happening and just seeing all the tweets about music, it was just kind of like watching the ticker go up and up and up and up. And my husband and I were both on our phones like, holy shit, people are so into this. It's kind of crazy. And then, you know, the Megan Thee Stallion in the premiere got so much love and so much attention, which was just, it was just really, really cool to see the response that the audience had to the music in the show. Do you ever uh, look back and wish that you had chosen a different song for a scene? No. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Uh, You put in a lot of work to make it perfect, so. Yeah, and our showrunners, you know, they're not gonna approve or move forward with the song that they don't love and they don't feel is right. I mean, sometimes there's various shows, there's placements that I'm like, "Mm, I would have chosen something different, but it's not my show. It's not my vision. It's theirs. Uh, Do you have any advice for anyone who's trying to get into this business? I do. You know, I think a couple things. One, I think it's important to intern, to, you know, really find a mentor like I did with Dave Jordan. At the end of the day, a lot of us are independent and I, I can't pay someone to do something that they don't know how to do. So I think interning and getting a background and understanding kind of the the basic ins and outs of how a show works is imperative and how you do that is, is an internship. The first piece of advice that I got from Dave Jordan was to learn how to do your own clearance. And that was probably some of the best advice I ever got because again, if you can, you can find the most perfect song, but if you can't use it or if you can't clear it and you can't afford it, you can't use it and you don't want to give your director ideas of songs that they can't have. So I think interning, learning how to do your own clearance, a lot of schools offer different classes. I know um, UCLA out here has the extension school where it has a music supervision class, Berkeley, USC. So I think those, those are always good ideas. The Guild of Music Supervisors, I think, is a great resource. They've been doing weekly Zooms on everything from music for ads, music for trailers, music in animation. I don't think you have to be a member for most of those events. So I think that they're great networking. I think networking is key. I think research is key. If somebody emails me and says, I want to work for you because I love Insecure or P-Valley, it's like, I don't work on those shows. The teams that do both of those shows are phenomenal but I don't work on those shows, you know? So it's kind of like, there was clearly not a lot of thought 
that went into reaching out to somebody. And I would never reach out to a director and say, oh, I love this movie. I want to do your new movie, you know, and, and, and have it be incorrect. It's just, you know, it's, it's unprofessional. And it's just kind of like the people that want it, you know, will, will know how to do it. I think those are kind of the main things, you know, intern, learn how to do your own clearance, network, and do what you can on your own to learn as much as you can about this. Because again, this is a business. And if somebody kind of comes at me like, oh, I have really cool taste in music, it's like, cool. Do you know how to find all 18 writers on the Beyonce song? <laughs> you know, because that's, that's what's important, not having quote unquote cool taste. Because again, also you could have the coolest taste in music and know all like the new bands and all of the new artists. But, you know, something like Umbrella Academy, we use so much music from the 60s. So just understanding that this is a business and that's, again, sometimes more important than having cool taste. Is it harder to like deal with older music because maybe you're dealing with like estates like you mentioned before? Yes, but also, you know, in the same way you have the newer music where there's, you know, an artist that's making beats in their bedroom and they buy a beat, but then that beat has a sample of some Japanese, you know, like, like that is very difficult to work through or finding that one person that has, you know, 2% on the song that you want to use. But then yes, going back to the older songs, you know, not having instrumentals. A lot of times we need to use the instrumentals in order to edit the song to picture. A lot of the older recordings won't have that, you know, sometimes copyrights get shifted. So I think that they both, new music and older catalog music, I think they both have their challenges on clearance levels for sure. Thank you so much again for agreeing to do this. This was really interesting. I knew this was always a job, but I always wonder like how do they put the songs and like the shows and it just seems like a very, very interesting job to have. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. It's a very difficult job with television. It's very, very, very fast paced. You know, I start at the script stage, you know, I get the script and I have to make sure if somebody's singing something on camera or reciting lyrics of a song that that all gets taken care of before we shoot. Right. So I'm working and then, OK, we're in episode six, but we're shooting episode seven. And there or you know, again, for Euphoria, we had the all for us, the big musical number. So, you know, in that I worked with casting, I worked with choreographer, I was in the studio when the marching band was pre-recording the song, making sure that, you know, I was in the studio when Z recorded her vocals. And it's a lot more than just sitting around listening to music all day and saying, oh, this is a cool song. I'm going to put it in a show. It's like, okay, but <laughs> do you, can you afford it? And so there's just a whole other aspect of the business that I don't think people really know about. I'm very lucky that I've had the people who believed in me at the very beginning. But you know, it's a hustle and I still hustle and find cool shows that are in development or stuff that's get greenlit. And I'm lucky enough to work with an agent and I just text him all day. I'm like, what about this show? What about this show? What are they doing? What's you know? So um but yeah it's it's a fascinating job that it's it's exciting that it is getting more attention now in kind of the quote mainstream, but I think it just all comes down to the music and how it connects to the audience. And I'm lucky that the shows that I work with do on one level uh, value music as much as Sam and Steve and the resident showrunners. And then obviously Donald and Hero, 
working on shows that music is just so important, but then it does resonate with the audience so much. It's just, it's really special and it's exciting. So we'll see what happens next after we get out of this mess and we can get back to normal and shooting lots of shows and back in the swing of things. So everybody just please wear masks <laughs> so we can get this all over with. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Is there any kind of a dream projection you love to work on? Um, I would love to work on a period piece, like something that takes place in the 70s where we get to use all really cool 70s music or even the 80s. You know, working with Umbrella on the 60s was so fun and just really kind of diving into, you know, that time period. But like something in the 70s I want to work on because I love music from the 70s. It's so fun. There's so much out there and there's, you know, a lot of artists and songs that are so fantastic um, to, you know, to sing. So maybe we'll see. We'll see what happens. Oh, fingers crossed. Now that things are hopefully getting better, that something like that might happen. But yeah, thank you so much again. Um, Thank you guys. Thank you for for having me and for, again, just being fans of the show. And we want to, like I said, just get everything just, like I said, back to normal so we can continue to create stories and for me to be able to put music to them. So thank you so much for having me. This has been Press Play. Uh, You could listen on Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, basically anywhere podcasts are. And you can follow us on Twitter at SBPress and on Instagram at the SB Press, and our website is sbpress.com. Kicking it all for us. Oh.